Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. I'm Sasha Ann Simons, and this is Reset. Housing, mental health, substance abuse. These are some of the biggest issues many Chicagoans are facing, especially those recently released from jail and their families. Well, Sheriff Tom Dart wants people to know that there's a place to get help. It's the new Community Resource Center. And it's not just for recently released detainees. It's open to all Cook County residents struggling with these problems. Here with more on the center and its resources is Cook County Sheriff Tom Dart. Sheriff Dart, welcome back to Reset. Thanks for having me on again, Sasha. This support agency has been quietly functioning for some months now. So tell us more about this Community Resource Center and how it all got started. Well, you know, Sasha, we've been doing for over a decade now programming both inside the jail and outside of it for substance abuse, mental health, uh, homelessness issues, housing issues, uh, education, jobs, the whole range. We've been doing it for, as I said, uh, probably going on 15 years now. And the notion was we wanted to bring them all under one umbrella, A, B, we've come to find out we're very good at what we do, so we want to spread it out more to the, the public. And C, it was something where we thought that the, the nature of what I'm dealing with, which is the majority of the people that come in contact with the jail, it's a health issue. It's a, a issue that needs to be addressed by social services, not necessarily law enforcement at all. And so the, the notion was to take the majority of our um, population and, and treat them the way they should be, which is to deal with the issues that are underlying here. So we had all these programs. We want, and we had them both in the jail. We had them going outside the jail. We wanted them now under one umbrella, but we found that when we were doing that, we were bringing in family members as well who needed this help, that help, this help, this. And so it's like, okay, well, let's just open this thing up to anyone in the public who needs it because, as we all know, whether it's mental health services or substance abuse treatment, there's just not enough of it out there. And so we not only can provide parts of it ourselves but act prim- you know, primarily as a navigator, helping different people get access to different services that are very difficult to, to find or to access themselves. So it's just this long history of us doing this, now wanting to have a specific center, which is actually going to be a specific building in the near future, Mm -hmm. to house everything and to invite the public to take advantage of it as well. And what exactly are the services that you're going to be providing? You know, it's it's a combination. Some of the stuff, Sasha, we'll be doing ourselves. So, so it'll be employees of mine who are, you know, social workers, all folks that have the specific degrees that are necessary to do this properly. They'll be actually administering whatever that part of the program might be, and that could be some of the mental health components, for example. But most of the rest of it, we have this incredible network of providers in the community that we've been working with for over a decade now uh, where we'll be basically connecting people so that if you come into contact with our office, whether it's because you're just walking off the street near the public or you're someone who's coming into the contact through the jail, we'll work with you to find you a provider in your community that can help you with whatever the issue might be. And then get into the sort of the, the, the weeds a bit, too, to be honest with you, Sasha. A lot of it is transportation issues. We help provide transportation. Either we physically drive people ourselves or we have vouchers that we use as well. And then 
on the housing issue, which I cannot emphasize enough to you. Uh, I was listening to your lead in here talking about evictions. It's, it's literally the topic that keeps me up every night of what's going to happen there. Even without the eviction crisis, the, the number of homeless people that we have come in contact with the, the jail is well over 10% every you know given day. And so it's one of those things where housing is our primary concern, and it's the thing that we are always scrambling on. And as I often would tell people, Sassy, it's like anybody can sit there and, you know, sort of just mail it in, for lack of a better word, and just take someone who has a housing need and drop them off at Pacific Garden Mission or something like that, who do amazing work. Ours is like, no, we want to have sustainable models where we're actually guiding people toward places that they can go where there'll be ability for them to stay there. And so we have had that those conversations, and we actually right now have three hotels that we are working with who are going to be able to provide some of that short-term housing that we've been looking at. And so it really is that whole gamut. is whatever that specific uh, thing you need, we will be your um, sort of guide in getting you to it, making that connection, or providing the service ourselves. How many people are you able to serve there, and how big is your staff? Well, you know, we've we've got the staff is at 17 people right now. We're bringing on, I think, five more people in the very near future, and then we have some other folks that are in addition to those. So they're they're actually you know trained mental health providers that work for me and have for years, and they'll do some of the actual treatment stuff that we do ourselves. But the the other group of like 20, it'll eventually be about 25 people will be navigators. There'll be individuals that will help. You know, work out the logistics of getting people into these different programs, and then half of them are going to be case managers. So once you're in our universe, we're going to stick with you to make sure that your needs are met and you need any help. And right now we have about just under 1,500 people on our caseload that we're working with right now, um, and that runs the gamut. I mean, just this past week I was looking at what services we provided just this past week, and it was mostly shelter-related, but then there was employment issues we worked on with people as far as uh, working with them to get um, resumes together, things along those lines, get interviews, legal, a lot of questions about rent and mortgage assistance, um, things as basic as clothing. We work with people to access that. So um, we have the different people have these skill sets. And as I said, we've been doing it primarily as it applies to individuals in the jail and their family members. And this is our effort to really open it up to the, the rest of the public to come and take advantage of it. Yeah, it's open to all Cook County residents, but it's primary mission, it sounds like, is to support those who were recently released from jail. Sheriff, yeah. I want you to talk a bit more about that transition and what it's like for uh, you know a person going from being in jail to back out in the community. What are the immediate challenges there? Oh, God, Sasha. That's the thing that frustrates me to no end. It really does. This is not rocket science. It really is not. When you have an individual that's coming to your custody where you're holding them for one hour or they're in your custody for 10 years, heaven forbid, the issues are relatively straightforward and easy to identify. We have menus of different things that are out there that aren't always going to work. It's not as simple as, oh, here's your new house or whatever. Like but the issues themselves are right there. And with a little bit of thought, which is what we are providing here, we're getting people over the hump. And 
they don't end up coming back into the criminal justice system. And we have the University of Chicago. Been, they've been phenomenal help. They study. They're the data side of everything I do. And this thing in particular, they have been just diving into the data side of it. Is our interventions work? Are they working? Um, are they having successes on multiple levels, not the least of which is recidivism? But, Sasha, the, the, the needs are so basic and so obvious. It's like, what do you expect is going to have someone who, say, has been in my custody for a year when they're released do you not suspect there's going to be a housing issue so, or someone who came into my custody with a long-term substance abuse issue? Do you not think that's something we need to stay on top of and address when they leave? Do you think all of a sudden just because they've been in programming at the jail and they've been clean of drugs that everything's going to be fine? It's like, no. And it's like why we do all these nuanced things, Sasha, where anybody comes in who's had overdose issues, and it's not as hard as you might imagine to find out those people doing it, or people who've come into our custody, which is unfortunately a large percentage who go right into detox because they're so sick when they come into custody. We flag all those folks, and we give them training on how to use naloxone, and then when they leave, we give them two canisters of naloxone when they leave. We've tracked all that to find this is an obvious group that's very vulnerable for this issue. Let's give them this resource to make sure they don't overdose or someone around them doesn't overdose, and that we've been tracking that. And so it was literally it's that common sense element of where you're sitting there saying, what are the needs? What can we do to, to help? And in Sasha, most of the stuff is not that expensive. It's a question of being sort of like that navigator. I, you've identified it. Now just make this connection. And I can't emphasize enough to you. Some of the things, our bigger successes, because we just provided a ride. This person didn't have the ability to get to the housing. And all sorts of problems that occur will drive people there. Or once they're in our caseload, they have no ability to get to, say, their substance abuse appointments. We drive them. We'll, we'll drive them back and forth and get them there. And so these are not complex things. We're not suggesting we're solving all the world's problems. But for the ones that we're having, they're very readily identifiable problems when people leave. They're ones that are readily identifiable solutions are also there as well. Yeah. And we're making those connections. Sheriff, picking up where you just left off, I wonder how has bail reform impacted your ability to offer these services? Because my understanding, and correct me if I'm wrong, are some of them declining the help? Yeah, you know, Sasha, that's a great point you make there because sometimes I forget that the most of the world does not have any reason to know all the nuances of my, my world. And bail reform, I was pushing it for, I don't know, about four years, and, and we got it done here in Cook County about two years ago, got it done pretty pervasively. I mean, there's always some tweaks that need to be done here and there and so on. But we made just major strides where we got the majority of the mentally ill out of the jail. We got the majority, if not all, of the poor people who were being held because they're poor out of the jail. But here's the thing that is really um, interesting. Because of the, the way the system was in the past, and when I started as sheriff you know, many moons ago, we had 12,000 people in custody. I'm now, you know, Routinely, I'm just at 56, 5,700 is my number. I'm pretty much been at before COVID and after COVID. I'm at the same number. The difference is now I had people in my custody, and many of them, as I said, I was the biggest cheerleader to say they don't belong here, but I was able to treat them, and I had them there, and I was able to deal with them. Now, because people are coming, there's still lots of people being arrested, but they're not being held, which is a good thing because they don't need to be. But I only have this tiny window to try to get the services to people because it's the same time 
type of folk, uh, folks that I'm dealing with, they still have these same issues, these substance abuses, these mental health issues, whereas before I had you know days, weeks, if not more, to, to analyze, to treat, to put plans together. Now they're coming in and going out within hours. And so what we did is we changed our model so that we have a sort of um, – a place where everyone has to pass through. And so we call it a discharge lounge, and everyone has to pass through it. And we have just moments to literally sort of inundate them with, we can help you with this, we can help you with that, we can help you with this. Do you need this? Does anybody in your family need this? Do you have concerns about vaccinations? Do you need to know where you can go to get vaccinated? Do you need to get tested? Here's how you can do that. And so we've had to change our model to have it this very rapid process. And the difficulty there is you're trying to build a relationship with someone to get them to trust you so that they'll open up and say, okay, I do need substance abuse help. And that's hard to do in that tiny window. So we're just constantly tweaking our model now that people are in and out so quickly. You changed your model. You're even intentional about your design of the logo. Yes, exactly. Because we just want to, and that's the thing I've been struggling with, Sasha, because I have plenty of empty buildings on the compound, but this is not about jail. This is about social services. This is about helping people who have issues that are not criminal. They're health issues. And so I'm trying to find, and I think I've identified a good location for the actual physical center to be, because I want a physical building. We've been doing this virtually for over a year now, and I want a physical building, but it's been hard because I don't want it to be connected to the jail. Let's go back to housing for a moment. We talked about it and what's happening with the National Eviction Moratorium. Your office is in charge of enforcing evictions. How are you preparing to deal with the huge increase in evictions? And mind you, there's been money side to side by the feds for, you know, eviction. I don't want to say call remediation, mediations, all those different types of efforts they have. There's things out there. But Sasha, less anyone is, you know, kidding themselves. Uh, without a surgical federal intervention to help both the tenants and the landlords, because many of these are mom and pops who own one building, two buildings, and they're more they're about to get foreclosed on their building because they haven't been getting any rent. Unless this surgically is done and done expeditiously, this is going to be a disaster. And there's no ability for anybody to sit there and say, oh, we, we have a really good plan on this. What we've been doing is we uh, years ago, um, I want to say 13, 14 years ago, I had changed my eviction model to where it's a social service model, where we go to houses before evictions occur. We talk to the people in the, the, the rental home or the, the, the apartment, and we explain to them, not just, oh, you have to go. We, we find out what the issues are. Do you have issues? Do you need a lawyer? Do you need mental health help, uh, which we need frequently? Um, are there things we can do? Can we help you with transportation? We've been ratcheting that up a lot, but that's going to be a, a pebble in the ocean if there isn't this ability to have the feds come in and help all the different players in there, because it's it's going to be a tsunami. There's two different studies that we've seen. One, I think, was by DePaul, and one was by another entity. And they go between 250,000 to 350,000 evictions would be on the, the queued up if the moratorium were to end. And I don't think there's any sane person to suggest that that is something we can, as a society, will accept. So we have gotten... As I say, we have a plan, if you want to call it that. It's interventions, and we'll continue to do that. And we we work with landlords as well. But none of that will work. Absolutely none of it will work unless there is a surgical intervention. Just a few seconds left with you, Sheriff. But, you know, I'd love to hear what additional resources this community center is still in need of. Like, if you had more money, you'd do what with it? 
You know, it's it's interesting because if I if I had more money, I probably would just be to find one where I'd put a substation as opposed to having just the one location. And and it really is proximity means a lot to folks and their ability to access services. So it might be a variation of that. Outside of that, though, honestly, I just can't emphasize enough: housing, 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 housing. I, that's what I, you know, from a personal standpoint, that's what I need to help people the most. But it's what everybody we come in contact, that is the biggest thing. And, Sasha, that is the thing. When that gets in jeopardy, like evictions occurs, that's like the first step where people are cycling down into all of these different traumas that occur, and they can't dig out of it. So that's the thing I need more. If I can have temporary housing, that would be my number one wish. That's Cook County Sheriff Tom Dart. Sheriff Dart, always a pleasure. Great talking to you. And that's today's Reset. For more conversations with people working on answers to Chicago's biggest questions, make the Reset podcast a part of your daily routine. And tomorrow, look out for our weekly news recap, where two of the city's best journalists take us inside the biggest local and state stories of the week. Until then, I'm Sasha Ann Simons. Thanks for listening, and we'll meet again soon. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR.